Good morning. It's good to see you. I want to let you know, first off and foremost, that Operation Christmas Child is going on right now. All right, over 8 million boxes went worldwide last year uh, in almost every country on the globe, and this is one of the easiest ways that you can put the fingerprints of God on a child's heart for a few dollars. It is a gift that does not represent Santa Claus or some holiday of sharing consumable goods or toys. This is about a message of love that goes across the world in Jesus' name in the form of a box. On the birth date of our Savior Jesus, this kid receives from someone he'll never probably meet a small present, like the hope that starts from salvation, and it comes in the form of this little box, and then it attaches to his global church in their neighborhood, in their center of the world, and they are attached to the gospel. And I'm telling you, I don't know how else to put it in your mind to say that there should be no boxes left in that lobby when you leave. You just go over there and say, I don't even know what I'm doing. He just told me to get one of these boxes. There's pamphlets. I'll tell you what to do. You just fill it with stuff that's like Dollar Tree. And you follow the instructions. You put a little money for shipping, and it goes around the world. And you don't have to leave your couch. We're going to talk about money this week and for the next month. So just get uncomfortable. All right, let's just talk about it together. But i got to start by telling you, if you think Kingsway is all about us, We're not going to talk about us this month. We're going to talk about the things that God is doing around the world. All right? And this is the first place I'm just telling you. Operation Christmas Child, go look at the video. Go pick up a pamphlet. We need more boxes out there next week. You know what I'm saying? Because you only got a couple weeks left. And then it's over. All right? Because they got to get these around the world. So you can't expect them to do that in your last-minute Christmas Eve shopping like myself. All right? I'm going to put this down here so I stop talking about it. Actually... I'm just going to put this one right here. It's got everything. Someone at the end of service. This may be yours. I expect to see a bloodbath right here. We're starting a new series. It's called Money Talks. Money Talks. Now, this isn't an original series to me. I think it's really important to be up front with you. This is one of those series when I heard, I went, I'm going to preach that. Because you know what uh, Rick Warren used to say? If my bullet fits your gun, you use it. All right? And I loved that. All right? So there's some things that come directly from the Holy Spirit to me. There's other people that come through their Holy Spirit, hit my Holy Spirit, and then come to you. All right? Just flat out. And this is one of those things. Because I don't know if you know this, i got a few gray hairs. That means I've dealt with money a little bit in my life. All right? But the older you get, I fumble in, if you do it well. So just giving you that up. Now, why are we talking about money? We talk about money here every November. So some of you knew when you came in, you're like, no, it's November. Maybe he'll forget. All right? I didn't forget, and the reason why is because there's 35 to 38 parables in the New Testament uh, that Jesus taught teaching on the kingdom of God, and 16 of them are about possessions and money. More than heaven and more than hell. And I know, it got real quiet in here, and that's why we got to talk about it, right? And the truth is, is because there's a lot that we need to recognize that's going on behind the scenes, with our money. And so the whole premise of this, uh, this, this series is the conversation that we could have if money could talk. And the cool thing is, if money could talk and tell you the truth, it would actually line up with Jesus teaches and has taught. 
And so whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, you may come in here, and I'm just telling you right now, you can listen to this, and your money will tell you the truth about you. And your money lines up with what Jesus is teaching about the tool and the test that is in money. It's going to be good. Let me start by asking you this. A means to an end is what makes something meaningful. It's what makes something meaningful. How many of you guys still own rollerblades? Anybody still own rollerblades in here? Who was an 80s or 90s kid that had a pair of rollerblades? Raise your hand right now. Come on. Don't leave me up here by myself. Don't gator arm it either. All right, get it up. Come on. Who had rollerblades? Let me see it. Some of y'all grew up on gravel. You're like, I couldn't. <laughs> I wanted them. They never had them. <laughs> All right. Now, it was one of the best days of my life when my grandpa came from Arizona to Oregon, bought our whole family rollerblades. Now, I don't remember if it was my mom or dad, but it felt like we were all on rollerblades for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And we had this steep driveway right out outside of our house. And I'm telling you, it was a death trap. But it was also our hockey rink. And we played, you know what I'm talking about? We just played rollerblades. You wear the front wheel out because you don't even know how to brake by just dragging your toe. Right? That's it. And you just wear that front wheel out. Look like a pizza by the end of the day. Just wobbling around. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because at the time, I had a real reason for my rollerblades. They were fun. It was a connection to the people around me. I mean, I just loved those doggone things. I came home from school. I wanted a hockey stick, hockey puck. I wanted to get on those rollerblades. I wanted to play, and it was amazing. How many of y'all still own rollerblades? Man, I can't. I don't even know the last time. I, I used to see them all the time at garage sales. I don't even see them anymore. You know, you're like that thing that your kids would be like, what are these? <laughs> and you're like, ah, they used to be a toy that was fun. <laughs> now you just sit on your phone and play rollerblade, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but here's the whole point here. When it stopped being something that I was doing, I stopped playing hockey. All right, I stopped playing and hanging out with those friends. I don't have any friends right now that rollerblade. I don't need rollerblades no more. They are meaningless, right? But if we, I mean, look at this floor, y'all. <laughs> See where I'm going? We're going to have an offering at the end for rollerblades for everybody. It's going to be awesome. If we wanted to, all of a sudden, rollerblades would be amazing, right? On Thursday nights, we're going to have hockey night. Everybody's like, I need to get my rollerblades. You, some of y'all are like, I'm going to dust mine off. I didn't tell you still had them, but I got them. What makes something meaningful all of a sudden is the end. It's, it's what you're driving towards. It's what you want. It's, it's what you need. And then all of a sudden, the thing that gets you there, it becomes incredibly important. It becomes incredibly necessary and meaningful. You need to keep this in mind as we talk about money. I mentioned that 16 parables. We're going to come back to this. I'm think, okay, I got it. Now what? Hold on to it. We'll come back. I told you 16 of the parables were done with possessions or money. One of those such parables is in Luke chapter 16. And when, one of the things I'm learning, I'm telling you right now, the Bible is living and active. And when you read certain things at a certain age or a certain time, it doesn't always become clear. But I'm hoping today, this is one of those stories, when you read this, by the end of week done, you're going to go, oh, I get it. 
And you got to keep in mind, this is 2,000 years old, written by a doctor who just saw the movement that was going on and went, someone needs to take an orderly account, get this chronologically right, and keep track of all the stuff that's happening. And that was Luke. And he did it for a guy named Theophilus, and we know that because at the beginning of Luke, he says it. And then at the beginning of the book of Acts is the second volume. It's actually like Luke part two. And he says, as I said in the previous version. So we know this is Luke's attempt to put everything in perspective, clearly, chronologically, for you to know what's going on. But it's 2,000 years old. So the example reading today, it may not feel like it's direct, but it still hits hard. And I think it hits even harder when we live in a place that we have a lot, you guys. And even the, a lot of the world. So with that all being said, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. We can walk through this together. Take my time. Take, take your time. He's talking to a group of people. Of course, his disciples are there. The Pharisees are there. So some people that just know Jesus is doing some crazy, awesome things are there. And Jesus starts telling this parable. And now a parable, just so you know, is not a true thing. These are made-up stories with a point. These are a fiction with a point. So this isn't a real story. This is just a fictional thing that is supposed to draw you in like a children's book. And it's a simple story. There was a rich man who was a manager, was accused of wasting his possessions. So this guy was so rich that he couldn't run his own money, so he hired somebody to handle his wealth. That's how rich he was. How crazy. You have so much money that you can't count it. You need somebody to do it. But this guy was in trouble. He was wasting his possessions. So he called him and he asked him, what is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Show me the books. I'm not hearing good things. Show me the books. I'm not hearing good things. And I think, yeah, you done. Next verse. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? This is such a real, anybody ever been fired before? This is a real way my job, and I am not strong enough to dig. I can't do physical labor. Look at these hands. I ain't done a physical day of labor on my job. That's how I feel every time I go to one of y'all farms. All right? You guys are just doing something manly out there, like hay or something, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, we're in trouble. Go to the chiropractor for a month. <laughs> no lie. I'm, not, I'm ashamed to beg. He's still got some pride. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He is coming up with a scheme. So he called in each of the, of the master's debtors, and he asked, now this is not just a few, this is all of them, but we're only going to get a couple of them. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. And he said, the manager told him, take your bill. Sit down quickly. Come on, come on, come on. Sit down quickly. Make it 450. Now, if you're listening, and just like the audience was then, you're having the same reaction, right? If you're the guy that owes 900, you're like, this is awesome, right? If you're the guy who's with the rich guy, you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> You wonder why you got fired, right? What are you doing? This is wrong. Then he asked the second one, and how much to reply? Awesome. Take your bill and make it for 800. Now, he did this 
with not just these two, but with all the accounts. The verse, next verse is this. The master commended. What? Wait, go back to verse 7. We missed one. Take your bill, make it eight. Oh, we didn't, we didn't. Oh, maybe we didn't. All right. Verse 8. Getting ahead of myself. Then the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted what? Shrewdly. And that is not a word that I've heard outside of taming of the shrew. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been called shrewd in their life? I mean, it's not a common word now. Basically, it means it's crafty, right? Crafty. Wise, but kind of like, ooh, that was kind of sinister. Kind of behind the scenes. Ooh, that was sneaky. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are with the people of the light. I'll pause. He's pulling out of the story. You guys realize that? He stopped it right at the end, and he's like, wait, wait, isn't this guy going to get mine? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Pause. Okay. How many of you guys are justice people in here? When someone does something wrong, you are like, no. Knock it off. Some of the easiest ways to see this is either lines and someone cutting it, all right? Driving, all right? Or uh, any form of your siblings when you grew up, right? You get to break it in half, but I get to choose which half I want of the cookie, the last one, right? Justice. Does any of your justice radar go off here? Because he is basically complimenting the guy for doing something sneaky and dishonest. Any of your, anybody's radar like, I'm sorry, are we talking about the same Jesus? <laughs> I want you to just read this real quick. Friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This parable, if we are not careful, will make it about morality when really it's about you got a little bit of time and a little bit of resources and a little bit of opportunity. You have a little bit of time a little bit of resources, and a little bit of opportunity to make eternal differences. Feel it? Now, at this point, this is when things start getting a little bit real. Basically, what he's saying, and remember we talked about at the beginning, is this. Money is a means, not an end. Money is a means, but it's not the end. Money can help you be happy, but if all you have left is money, you won't be. Now, if that's not enough, basically you're pulling out this. Our right now resources have the potential to make eternal differences. 
Now, if that doesn't freak you out a little bit, this kind of makes me nervous as, as a pastor and a teacher of the Bible because immediately coming, you're going, okay, so what's the direct context of this? Is it like a genie? I've heard this before. And I go, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's not meant to be that way. It's not meant to be you like figuring out the lotto machine that is God. It's not meant to be you come up and you give a little and you get a lot. It's not about that at all. The context of this is actually about impact. Your right now resources have eternal significance. It's about impact, not about what you get. It's about impact. So let me ask you this. Have you seen your money make eternal differences? Have you seen your resources make eternal differences? Have you watched this happen? I'm in the middle of reading Dan Carlin's book. Uh, He has a podcast called Hardcore History, and his new book just came out a few days ago. It's called The End is Near. And it's all about how every major, like, power, government, country at one point thought they were not going to end. And now they're not here. And he's just a history fanatic. And one of the things he talks about over and over and over again is the differences between back then and now and how we like to assume that we're smarter than these previous nations, but how we're the same. (laughs) But that we have made some significant leaps forward. And one of the things he points out, which I thought was amazing, was the quality of parenting, especially in certain nations, has become a value that is unlike almost any other culture ever seen in the world. That a culture would protect and put things in place and value kids. Now, of course, we have certain sides of this that we could talk about discussions about those that never get to see childhood. But for those that make it, we don't do what, like, the Spartans did and pick the favorites and then cast the rest off the rocks. My whole thought on this is this. Do you recognize that you have resources and opportunities that would make kingdom lasting, not earthly differences? Things that will never perish, never fall away, even things on this world that would look like would last forever are placed in, a, in somewhere that is unreachable, untouchable, everlasting, eternal differences. Three quick things if you're trying to do quick tips. How can we leverage more of what we have for the benefit of others? How could we do this? If it has eternal significance, if it isn't worth trying, if it's something that's going to last forever, if it's something that we should be thinking about, what does it look like to do it then? Best advice I've heard in a long time is this one right here, the first one, and it is living on and deciding the percentage of your income you're going to live on beforehand. Pre-deciding or deciding the percentage of your income you're going to live on. This, at first you're like, okay, is that a sneaky way to say budget? Yes. (laughs) All right? But I also want you to recognize this, and this is why this does even better to pull it out. 
You're already doing this, you're just not deciding. Does that make sense? You are already living on a percentage of your income. You just haven't chosen it. You haven't decided on it. You haven't made it an intentional choice. If you're going to leverage things for other people, guess what? You have to choose beforehand because you will consume anything that's extra for yourself if you don't. You have to decide. Second thing, this is important. Second one, give your stuff away and leverage it. I love the illustration of this because I have a basement. There'll be these moments where there's something that you used to use that had some value that you will physically be walking downstairs with and you're like, this is going to go down here to die. It will never be seen again. (laughs) It will get covered in dust. (laughs) And I should give this away. Right? But you don't. You go down there and you get more shelves and you cover things up and then you fill the garage and then you get an off-site storage unit and then you're like, I have so much stuff. What if we just took the time to ask the question, who needs, and then leverage it when we see a need? Because guess what? You were going to put it downstairs for three years, forgot you had it, then throw it away. Why not give it away and leverage it? Last one. It's just super quick. Give to meet needs when it takes faith. Whoo! That's a tricky one, right? Because this doesn't always make sense. That's the hardest thing. Man, when you give and it doesn't make sense because it takes faith, faith is Andy Stanley says this, this is his wife's and his personal conviction, that they never say no if someone they are no personally asks them for something. That's their rule. That's how they act in faith. He said it has led to some really, really scary things. But that's how they choose to walk in faith. And for some of you, that just sounds terrifying. (laughs) But if it's not scaring you a little... And if it's definitely not costing you something, you're not giving with faith. You're giving out of what you feel like you could do, not what God's asking you to. Really, the truth of this whole thought from the beginning of this section, because we're not done with this parable, is this. Do you want more stuff? Or do you want more stories? You ever been to a funeral and they just stacked all the money and possessions that the person had around their casket and they just talked about it? Wouldn't that be crazy, right? They're like, he had $300,000. Look at it. It's crazy. Look at this. That, this stuff he had his whole life, it's just crazy. Look at this collection. Look at all these things. The only reason they would ever bring up resources or money is if they gave it away. The stories that happen when you choose to give, they're way more eternally significant than your stuff. 
I wonder going into the holiday season, if you're not strategizing on how to give now and not give to meet dreams of someone, but maybe to meet some needs in a helpful way. Under faith. I want more stories. Don't you? I want more stories. So after Jesus drops this bomb of saying money is a means, not an end, after he says your resources right now have the potential to make eternal differences, basically explaining all those last two verses, he then hits verse 10, and this is where it just starts to get real. I mean, this is where some of you are going to start to recognize this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonesty. Whoever is dishonest with a little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I think it's important to recognize this isn't being told to a group of people that have multiple cars, own houses and land, have way too much food that they constantly have to throw it away, who can travel anywhere they want, buy the things of their dreams, provide for education, have more closet space or more clothes than their closet space. It's not written to that. It's written to groups of people that have nothing. And I'll tell you, when I read this, I sometimes see the trap that riches can bring because we are called to be faithful with all that we have, not with a little bit of it. Because the trick of this is honest, not dishonest. And the way we play this out is, I've been honest with a little, but I've also been dishonest with a little as well, so meet in the middle. But the key word is trustworthy with everything. Trustworthy. If God came down and looked at your bank account, looked at your heart, and asked the hard questions, would he find you trustworthy with everything that you've been given? These are hard questions for me. I know they have to be hard for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not signing up for this yet. But if you are, 16 parables at 35, almost half. Because if money could talk, and this is kind of the whole point of this, if money could talk and it would use its own understanding of what would go, it would line up so well with what we're reading here in this parable. If money could talk, it would tell you, I am a tool, I am a tool, and I am a test. And the moment you think you own me, I own you. I am a tool. I am a means to an end. 
I am absolutely a test of your trustworthiness. And the moment you think you own me because doesn't everything flow through your fingers, I've never heard of one person that said, I'm taking it all to the grave. And then it doesn't just end up in the ground. And the moment you think you own it, it owns you. It's a heart switch. Just to drive you home of why this is so true, look at the last two verses of this. Verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil, absolutely not, both God and money. You cannot put your faith in God and put the faith in your resources at the same time. You have to learn to let go of what you can do and give it to God and then let him use it in a way that you could never dream for internal significance. Live on a decided percentage. Leverage, give even when it hurts in faith. Don't stop. It's a tool to something greater. It is your rollerblades into eternal success and victory under Christ. It has significant, eternal impact. I think one of the best lessons and one of the best ways to end this is just with a simple question. Do you want your life to be about accumulating, consuming, upgrading, fashioned retirement in a house full of stuff? Or do you want people to line up your funeral, line up at your funeral and to thank you with stories? What do you want people to line up and thank you for at the end of your life? What do you want people to line up with at the end of your life? What do you want them to thank you for? We said it this morning in the legacy class. Whatever breaks your heart is probably a slow revealing of the thing that God is calling you to help. Whatever is fracturing your heart, whether it's single moms, whether it's parents and helping them finish well, whether it's changing diapers in the nursery, whether it's coaching whether it's reaching out to those that have nothing in far-off places, whether it's downtown Springfield to the homeless, whether it's right here with hurting people or kids, what breaks your heart? Limited time, limited resources, limited opportunity, but what hangs in the balance is eternal significance and impact. It's a test. It's a tool. Man, what could we do? I'm going to end with just one little story. When we got unchained, and I know I mention this a lot, but you guys, when we got debt-free a few years ago, my heart is so full 
And you know why it is? Not because I feel like, oh man, we, we gave and we did this incredible thing, but you know why? It's because when I walk into this place, around the world and into our community and into the hearts of people and growth and connection is happening. And the light is here. If you gave to the Unchained campaign, you are in a story that will outlast your life. In this, in this church, and who you, who you have given to, every baptism you see, every event you watch, every, everything that we have going on in this building, you're a part of that story if you gave. And we each have opportunities to join in with those types of incredible storylines that are still being written now inside and outside of these walls. May we be a group of people that seizes the opportunity with our limited resources to make eternal differences and write some amazing stories. Maybe. It's not everything. Maybe this is the start of a new one, too. Pray with me.